remembered it being from this past week. <laughs> yeah, I hope you have your Bibles. If you do, turn to First John chapter three. First John chapter three. I tell you, Denise, uh, I thought she was just shy around here. She got up here. If, if you're not going to jo- uh, join a connection group now or a connect group, uh, you're never going to join one after that. I tell you, she did a phenomenal job, and uh, uh, I'm so glad that we have people who believe in connection because that is the key. Uh, to what God's called us to, to connect with one another. It's all through scripture. And uh, so I hope you'll make it a priority in your own life. I do ask you to pray for me this morning. I'm a little under the weather and uh, I'm about tired of all this sickness. I tell you, it's like one thing after another. And so uh, just pray for me. I can get through this. Jonathan is really praying I can get through this because he has my notes and he probably doesn't understand them. But anyway, First John chapter 3. Today we're going to look at the great debate, the great debate. Now in our society, how many of you figured this out? Everything seems to be up for debate. How many of y'all figured that out? I mean, you just look in the news. uh, Someone's actions are up for debate. Someone's inactions. uh, What someone says, what someone does not say, what someone wears. Oh, my goodness. I am sick and tired of hearing what people think about what people wear. Um, What some people don't wear. Maybe we didn't talk more about that. But anyway, what someone believes, and more specifically, what someone believes about God. You see, here's what we need to understand. It is important to understand proper theology and doctrine. There are certain things in Scripture that are not up for debate. And I'm here to tell you the two things that I see that are not up for debate is who Jesus is and what salvation is all about. If you miss those, you've missed the whole thing. You've missed the the whole plan of God as it relates to his son. And so to clearly understand salvation, one must understand sin as it relates to man and redemption as it relates to Jesus Christ. So therefore, look at the introduction on your outline. There are verses in the Bible that seem to contradict one another. How many of you have picked up on that? You've seen some of that. It is. I don't believe in contradictions in Scripture. I think we're missing something if we perceive it to be that way. Uh, We could miss it in many ways, but here's one. Many times the supposed contradictions are flaws in the English language when attempting to understand the Hebrew and the Greek. And there's so many words. I mean, when you start looking at words and you're moving from Hebrew or you're specifically moving from Greek, there's so many ways that the Greek really gives clear understanding and even the English language does. When it comes to verb tenses, especially in the Greek, their verb tenses tell everything in the Greek, whereas the English language, some of that is left out. There's more verb tenses in the, in the Greek, and we're gonna, I'm going to show you that this morning and how sometimes it appears to be a contradiction. Now, the debate this morning we're going to look at is this. Can a true follower of Christ, can they sin? I think we're all living witnesses at least probably in the last 24 hours, to say yes. How many of you would agree? We would. But, you know, sometimes when you read Scripture and you look at it, it's almost like, oh, my, oh my goodness, what, what, what's happening here? And so this morning, that's what I want us to do. So, so look at your outline again. Before we can go anywhere in this debate, we need to define or have the definition of sin to properly understand what John is telling us here in 1 John chapter 3. So 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 4. It says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. 
Now, when you think about it, and you can go to uh, <clears throat> some places in the Psalms, you're going to find out that there's a lot of talk about sin, and there's many different ways that it's illustrated uh, in, in the Psalms. And so when you look at it and you say, okay, what is sin? Well, one thing we can say based on this text is it's lawlessness. Now, in this verse, John is calling sin what it truly is. The problem in our society is we don't want to call things sin. We really don't. How do we refer to sin in our society? Oh, it's a weakness. And really, it is. It's a weakness when we start relying on the flesh. But it's a whole idea. Some people would categorize it as a sickness, a psychological quirk, a character flaw. Oh, it's just a bad decision or a victim of society. Let me just tell you this. That may be the outcome of where that sin is, but it all started as sin. It all started as lawlessness. It may have developed into sickness. It may have developed into a character flaw, but guess where it started? It started where it started, as the Bible calls it, it started as sin. And sin is totally missing the mark of God. Sin is not meeting the standards of God. So, so we, sometimes we just downplay the seriousness of sin. So this morning, let's look at it on your outline. Sin, it, however, is, number one, rebelling against God. I mean, we, we've kind of lost this language when, when it comes to defining sin in our society. And, and we need to understand that sin is rebelling against the creator. Rebelling, for those of us who know Christ, against the one who provided salvation for us. And so, it, and when it comes to rebellion, here's what you need to understand. Rebellion as it relates to sin is more of a heart attitude. You, you know what I'm saying? When your heart's just not right. Now, let me just tell you this. Did you know you can do the right thing and have a rebellious heart and it be the wrong thing? Did you know that? Have you ever done it? Oh, yeah, we're all capable of doing that. Next, sin is disobeying God. It's just disobedience. Both rebelling against God and disobeying God is really what the true meaning of lawlessness really is. And so you put those two thoughts together and it's that idea of lawlessness. We're living our lives apart from the standards of God, the morality of God, the purity and the holiness of God. Next, sin is rejecting God. You know, you know if we could just get our minds around what these words really mean... And we start, before we sin, if we could say to ourselves, you know, when we do this, when we tell this liar, when we tell this white liar, when we do this, uh, do we realize what we're doing here? We're not only disobeying God, we're not only rebelling against God, uh, but, but really, we're rejecting God. That, that's hard-hitting, isn't it? Rejection implies that someone has reached out to you and you turned them away. Or that you turn from the truth and receive a lie. You know, the idea of rejecting God is, is very serious in Scripture. Did you know that? Matter of fact, Jesus had something to say about it. He, he literally said rejecting God and his invitation to join him in salvation is the unpardonable sin. But it's the whole idea of rejection. It's that whole idea of the, the Spirit of God moving on the heart of a sinner who, who, who stands there in their sins. They're defined by their sin. That's who they are. They're a sinner, and that's, that's how they're defined. And, and, and the Holy Spirit of God moves with conviction in their life, and, and they, just, they just push it aside. They reject that. If we die in that condition, you know what the Bible says? We die without him. We die with no eternity in heaven. We die eternally condemned. 
It's a very serious matter. Next, sin is neglecting God. Now, this is one that many Christians, I, I feel, including myself, I think this is where we really miss it. Neglecting God, not properly acknowledging him. Now, I don't expect the world to properly acknowledge him. I don't. There, there, there's deception out there. There's a lostness out there. Uh, the Bible describes them as living in darkness. But those of us who are walking in the light, those of us who claim we are walking in Christ, walking in truth, guess what? Many times we can neglect him. We can neglect him. Now, how do you neglect God? Well, we just had a time of worship here. And if we weren't worshiping the Lord, we were neglecting him. But you know what we do? We have, uh, and listen, I, I've been around. I know what we're talking about here. We, we start debating the music. We don't like the style. We don't like how it's played. We don't like, and all of a sudden, guess what? We've worked ourselves out of not worshiping God. And we've got to be careful with that. And then there's a the whole idea of not acknowledging him in our everyday life. All that sin all that is a picture of that. We're all guilty of sin before God. The Romans 3, uh, if you go study the first three chapters, here's the culmination of it all. There is none righteous, what? No, not one. We're all in need of what? Grace. We're all in need of salvation. We're all in need of redemptive plan of God through Jesus Christ. As you can see, let me just tell you this. Sin is a very ser serious matter. Let me tell you about sin. Two things in, in particular. Sin will not inherit heaven. If I'm defined by my sin and I'm what you would say in sin, heaven is not my eternal destination. That tells you the seriousness of it. In fact, if I die in that sin and I die without Christ and I die in sin and that's my identification, guess what? Eternally condemned. That's a very serious matter. Well, let me tell you another reason why we know sin is very important. Because Christ died for it. That's the reason it's important. He died for our sin, and we need to understand that. Next, we see the deliverer of sin. 1 John chapter 3, here's the good news. And you know that he, God, was, or Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. So the one who is no sin, not identified whatsoever by sin, what did he do? He came to die for those who were in sin. Now, that blows my mind. Again, it's one of those things where, I don't know about you, uh, many of you are uh, came to Christ as children, and we've heard this story all our life. But let me tell you something, that's a big deal. We may have heard it all our life, but we need to acknowledge what it is. When it says he was manifested, it literally means he was made known. Now, how is it possible that God can remove sin? It's because of the last part. Look at what it says. It says, in him, in Christ, there is no sin. So the plan of redemption is the perfect sacrifice. Holy God reaches out to sinful man through his son, Jesus, who was, who was made known to us. That's it. The deliverer. Now, here, here, here's the good news. It is possible to be free from the penalty of sin. Eternal punishment and condemnation. It is possible to be free from the effects of sin, shame and guilt. God makes it possible and only possible through whom? Through Jesus Christ, his son. Now, I want you to think about this. All the other offers of religion that are out there in our world today, 
Look, look at all of them. If you, if you know anything about any, any of them, it's all works-based. It's all about taking the sinner and making the sinner better. That's really, if you say, okay, I'm going to look at this religion, and if it's works-based, if you look at it through the lens of Scripture, it's, it's literally the whole idea of trying to make the sinner better. Y'all, is that possible? Not in and of itself. But any other world religion, any other cult that's out there, the goal is to make the sinner better to be more presentable before the creator. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that we receive what he has. And as a result, as we saw in the video, we become a new creation. All of a sudden, we're not defined by our sin anymore. Listen, when you start to take the sinner and you're trying to make him better or her better, and you're trying to do that, guess what? They're still identified as a sinner. They're in sin. The only way we escape that is by being in Christ, in Christ. Now, I want you to think about that. There's only two people in the world. Some people would say, okay, I know what you're talking about, the lost and the saved. That's true too. But really, if you narrow it down, it's really all by identification. It's those who identify in sin and those that identify in Christ. Those are really the only two identifications that are out there. And every day on the web, we see there's more and more people having different types of identification. When the Bible says our identification is either in sin our identification is in, the, the, or is in Christ. And that's the language of Paul as we read in Scripture. Now, let's look at, on your outline, let's look at the deception of sin. First John chapter 3. I want you to skip down to verse 7. We'll come back to 6 in a moment. It says, little children. Now, when he says little children there, he is talking about believers. He, he could be talking about believers who have not grown a whole lot, but he's talking about believers. He says this, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous, okay? So how do we identify with Christ practically? By being righteous, because he's righteous. Now, let me just say this. Let's let's take a step beyond that or before we get there. The only reason we even are seen as righteous is because of his righteousness, When we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, I've told you this a million times. His righteousness, the Bible says, is bestowed upon us. It's put on us. It's not the sinner getting better, attempting to be a better version of himself. No, it's it's a whole new identification. It's a whole idea that now, now we're in Christ. It's redemption. It's, It's a beautiful picture there. So he says, don't let anybody deceive you. Listen, you're considered righteous before God. And the reason you are is because he's righteous, the one that made the provision for you. Then it says this, he who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Now look at 1 John chapter 2, flip over a page maybe, look at verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So... How did we get this whole idea of righteousness? We were born again. We were born again into the plan of redemption. That's the picture. It's the seed. It's the catalyst. It's what gets us where we are. And so all of a sudden, you're looking at this, and you're like, wow, great day. I'm righteous. Now, how many of you sitting here today would say, like the Bible calls you, if you know Christ, 
I am pure, I am holy, I am righteous, just as he. Did you notice what the Bible, how the Bible describes you? How many of you at times disprove that? You're really not disproving it. You're living contrary to who you are. You're still that person. If you know Christ, you've bought into the redemptive plan. You're in Christ. You're not identified in sin anymore. Guess what? There is, it is this. It just means you're not operating like you're, how you're called and who you are. Okay? How many of you, um, oh, well, I'll move on. Let me, I don't, I'm losing a little time here. Now, let me show you this. These verses are referring to our new identification in Christ, as I said before. Now, when people do what is right, this is important to understand. When people do what is right, it is because they are righteous. Okay? So, so if I'm going to do what is right, it's because I'm righteous. It's an identification thing. Okay? Now, in the same way, a tree that bears good fruit is what? A good tree. You get it? Okay? It's this identity. The fruit doesn't make the tree good. The fruit shows and demonstrates that the tree is good. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Your sin does the same thing. Your righteousness does the same thing. Now, apparently the false teachers, and by the way, almost all the epistles are addressing false teachings that are out there. About all of Paul's has a section in all his letters. John's doing the same thing here. Apparently, the false teachers who were denying the claims of Christ were also claiming that they knew God, but they wanted God on their own terms, just like the world is right now. You, you understand that, right? That's a big deal, all right? They were attempting to know God on their own ter terms. John warns them not to be deceived by these false teachers who say the right things, but their lives give no evidence that they practice or believe the right things, okay? Now, let's take a step back. Look at your outline. Let's look at the dictator of sin. So we see there's a deception out there. Where's the deception coming from? The Bible's very clear. All deceit comes from the enemy. So in 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, Oh, boy, that's tough language, isn't it? It means you're identifying with whom? The enemy. When you sin, you're identifying with him. Now, your identity is not in him. Your identity is not even in, this, in, the, in, the, in the sin itself. Your identity is in Christ. But you're acting like your identity is in him, okay? The enemy. Now, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. That means he started from the beginning and nothing will ever change. It's just the way it is. It's the way he operates. So the enemy was the first recorded liar and rebel against God, both in heaven and on earth. Sin all started with him and continues from his influence. The serpent, uh, man's sin, the original idea of sin. Have you ever heard of original sin? You know what that means? It's just a doctrine that says you were born in sin. It goes back to two-year-olds. You don't have to teach them how to be little hellions or sinners. It's just there. What their actions prove is, is that. And, and so what you have there is we are born in sin. Those who live in sin, listen, follow the enemy. They are rebellious, lawless, and unrighteous. So they're, they're defined by sin and their identities in sin. 
Next, we see the destroyer of sin. Look at 1 John 3. Look at verse 8 again. It says, for this purpose, it says, the Son of God was manifested. That means he was made known that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, that's a great verse, isn't it? Uh, The verse, really, when you look at it, could, could be twofold. It could be looked at twofold. The cure for sin is found where? The cure for sin is found where? In Christ. Okay, that's the cure. All right? The word destroy in this context does not necessarily mean to annihilate, but to undo or render ineffective. Okay? Now, let me ask you this. Is Christ going to come back and put an end to sin? We know that. The book of Revelation teaches us that. It's very clear. Paul alludes to it many times. So at some point, it will be annihilated. It will be destroyed. Okay? But in the meantime, when you start looking at it as it plays out today and how we live, it's not annihilated yet. But what it means is he is there. Christ has made a provision to undo or render sin ineffective in the enemy's schemes. So it is possible that he is working against you and Christ came to die for you that whatever schemes he's bringing your way, whatever sin he's trying to deceive you with, it can be rendered ineffective. You do know that, right? You don't have to fall into the deception. You don't have to fall into the sin. It's a choice you're making to do that. And so what we need to understand is Jesus came to undo the work of the enemy and set people free from the bondage and penalty of sin, therefore rendering the works of the enemy ineffective. That's the goal. That's, that's, that's the reality we live in right now. Later, he will annihilate sin and the effects of it. But right now, it is a provision that's made to render the enemy ineffective in his work towards us. Provided we're in Christ and living in that reality, okay? Now, the debate of sin. This is where the debate comes. 1 John chapter 3. I want you to go back to verse 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. <laughs> is that what yours says? If I abide in Christ, my identity is in him. I ever, my substance, everything about who I am is, is defined by him, is strengthened by him, and everything, I will not sin. Ooh. How many of you proved in the last 24 hours you must not be abiding in him? In this language, it appears. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Wow, this is unlike anything we've ever read, especially from Paul. Here, here's, here's an effective rendering of this verse. Whoever sins, abides in sin, okay, because that's the language. He's already introduced abiding. Are you going to abide in Christ or are going to abide in sin? That's the language here. Okay, so if I'm not abiding in Christ, more than likely, what am I abiding in? Sin. That's the only two choices. And so if I'm abiding in sin... I'm living, these people live like they've never seen him or known him. You see what I'm talking about? That's what the verse is trying to tell us. That means we're living contradictory. 
There's a, we're, oh, excuse me, we're living a contradiction is really what I was trying to say. Because we are called to abide in him. Jesus said it himself. You abide in me, I will abide in you. But, uh, without me, you can't do anything. I mean, there's nothing. There's, nothing will come of your life that is good if you're not abiding in me. Now, is that a true statement? Yeah, because only other option is abiding in sin. And so all of a sudden, now let's skip down to verse 9. Whoever has been born of God, oh, does not sin. Another way of saying it, if you're born again, you won't sin. You see the country, you see, it's a little different what we've heard, isn't it? For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, obviously these verses are impossible to live up to in this body. How many of you agree with that? Yeah, it's impossible. So what's going on here? Is there a contradiction? Is there a debate? Now, I want to compare this to 1 John chapter 1. Look at 1 John chapter 1. Look at verse 8. Here's what he says. See if this doesn't appear to be a contradiction. If we say that we have no sin, what? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, however, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all the things that we put in action when we weren't in Christ, we were in sin. If we say that we have not sinned, verse 10, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. Sounds like a contradiction. I want you to hold your place here. Turn to Romans chapter 7. I'm almost finished, believe it or not. Romans chapter 7. Now, you probably know exactly where I'm getting ready to turn you to. Paul also writes about this contradiction. And Paul does a great job of making it a, a personal pronoun where he's talking of himself. He's talking about his own experience. And he's saying there are times in which I am a walking contradiction. Okay? How many of you are glad that these uh, writers of the scripture get real with us? And show us more about where sometimes we live. Here's what he says in Romans 7 verse 14. Paul, this is Paul, okay? For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal and sold under sin. The, the law is perfection. It's the standard. It's what God desires. But, but I'm carnal. I'm made of flesh. And, and, and sold under sin. There, there's a, it's, it's always there. For what I am doing... This is written in the present tense, by the way. He's already had his encounter with Christ. For what I am doing, I do not understand. How many of you feel the same way sometimes? What in the world am I doing that for? Why did I think that? Why did I go over there and do that? He says, for what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Now, now notice I think when he says that that I hate, he's revealing his, the true nature of who he is. He's in Christ. Listen, if we're in Christ, we're going to hate sin. We may sin. We may cross over. We may be momentarily directed towards sin. But guess what? We'll never be satisfied in sin because we're not in sin. Our identification is not in that sin. Our identification is in Christ. And so Paul was basically saying, man, when I'm totally blowing it, I'm just going to tell you, I, I, hate, I hate being there. I'm living contra contradictory or a contradiction of who I am. I left being in Christ and I'm in sin. But listen, his whole, his whole thing, he's in Christ. He, he gives us the terminology. 
Verse 16, if then I do what I will not to do, I, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. How many of you have lived that one? Yeah. Flesh doesn't produce anything too wholesome, does it? For to will, for to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, sometimes I, I don't find it. I don't go in that direction. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I seem to practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He's saying, he's, he's hitting the contradiction there. He's saying, hey, it's not me wanting to do this. It's not me desiring that, knowing what the outcome's being. But I know my identity's in Christ. But when I go over here and do this, I'm a living contradiction. And he hates that about himself. Let me ask you a simple question. How many of you hate yourself for that at times? It's like, well, how did I wind up here? How? Verse 21, I find then a law, there's something going on, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, those, uh, the flesh, and how it reaches out the sin, warring against the law of my mind, what I know to be right. He says, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Again, there's no clue that Paul is sitting here saying, I'm identified in my sin. He, he's saying, I'm identified in Christ, but sometimes I'm a contradiction. And that's the language that's being used here. Now, turn back over to 1 John 3. We've got one more thing we need to see. Paul here is not writing of perfection, but a struggle between what he desires to be and what tends to happen in his life. There is a difference, listen, between committing a sin and continuing in sin. Even the most faithful believer sins, as we've all proven. A believer who commits a sin, listen, repents, confesses, and finds forgiveness, while those who continue to sin will not repent of what they're doing. Because, listen, because the reason they don't is because they're identified in sin. But the one who's identified in Christ, though he may cross over into areas of sin, he's, because he's not defined by that, he will eventually or she will eventually come around to what the Bible says, repentance, confession, and forgiveness, okay? Now, the references to sin in verses 6 and 9, this is the key, are in the present tense, okay? They're in the present tense. When you start looking at the Greek, when you move from, uh, from the English, you're going to say, okay, I'm going to look at the Greek. I'm gonna, the verb tenses are very important to understand. And what we understand here is they're written in the present tense, indicating a continual act of sin. You know what it's referring to? Habitual sin. Habitual sin. It's the person whose identity is in sin. Okay, they're identified by it. So, look on your outline. Committing versus continuing. How do we, how do we settle the debate? How do we look at scripture over here and it appears to be saying this over here, but then we look over here, it appears to be saying that. We've got to understand the language. We've got to understand the verbiage here. And so committing is a sin. Continuing is a pattern of sin with no remorse, with no conviction. The person who's living in sin, it's not to say they won't feel bad about living in their sin. Some do. Some people are sorrowful. But let me just tell you this. It's not the same way the person who responds who's in Christ. 
It affects him a whole different way. How about this? Incident versus direction. The incident is the occasional acts of sin. Direction. Persistently pursuing sin. It's this area in which I constantly go to. I'm starting to see myself more identified in a certain sin over here. If that's the case, we need to go back and look at salvation in the first place. The salvation at least we may think we have. And then there's condition versus position. The condition is when sin comes into my life, it literally is a whole idea, am I in fellowship or am I out of fellowship with God himself? If sin is in my life, am I in fellowship with God or out of fellowship with God? Out of fellowship with God. The connecting points, who I am, my identity. I'm, I'm living a contradiction, okay? Doesn't mean I lose Christ. Doesn't mean I'm not in Christ anymore. If I truly came to him, I'm still there. But guess what? I'm out of fellowship. Out of fellowship. Position is my relationship with Christ. I believe when someone comes to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says the Holy Spirit seals them. The Bible, that's the whole idea of a guarantee that's put there. And it's that whole idea that, that it, it, I made that leap to, to, to be identified with Christ, to, 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 to have that provision that he, he died for me and, and all that. And I came on his terms. Listen, that's my position. That'll never change. My fellowship might. And then, here's the application. The aspects of sin. And this is important to understand. It's on your outline. It's on the screen. There's two states here. We've got a fallen state and a redeemed state. The fallen state is my past before I knew Christ. I had the power to sin, and I was primarily driven by my flesh. Okay? That's my past. I think we can identify with that one, can't we? But then I've been redeemed. This is where I'm in Christ, the present. I have the power not to sin. There's something in me that, that's going to work in my life. It's going to bring conviction. It's going to call certain things. And, and, but yet, I, I have the power not to sin, but guess what? I'm capable of sinning. But then look at the future. Not able to sin. I like that part. Let me tell you how Paul summed up Romans 7. You remember him talking about he's a living contradiction at times? What he wills to do, he finds himself not doing, all that stuff. You know what he finally says? And this is where all of us should get. Every one of us should get to this point. This proves that we're in Christ. Here's, here's how he ends the chapter. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. He's identifying. You see what I'm saying? He's saying, I understand this fallen man, the one that that's, the, the members are warring against the spirit and all that. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of sin? Or this body of death. He's crying out. You ever done that? You ever said, oh, I'm so sick of sin. I'm so sick of temptation. I'm so sick of living as a contradiction. He's crying out. Listen, if we're not crying out the same way when we do sin, there's probably something wrong. There's something amiss there. And then he says this. He, he, he gives us the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ. That's where it's coming from. Listen, the book of Revelation tells us that Jesus is coming back to conquer the presence of sin and its deception once and for all. It's coming. But in the meantime, we're living in the present. 
power not to sin, but capable of sinning. Would you stand to your feet, please? Father, we just come to you right now, and we just, uh, again, thank you for the provision of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, the fact that you would send your only son. And, Father, I just pray for every one of us in this room, Lord. I know that uh, there's been times in my life, I, I hate to say, not just moments, but periods of times in my life where I was a walking contradiction. I was in Christ but also identified with certain sin. And Father, I just pray for all of us, Lord, that we take that more seriously. That we don't just look at Romans chapter 7, as sometimes I do, and say, well, Paul struggled. We all struggle. And just use that as an excuse. But Father, that we would come to the same conclusion Paul did and just cry out and say, I'm so sick of this battle. I just want to be, I want to, I want to live the reality that's been provided through Jesus Christ. And Father, I just pray that we all as Christians that stand here today, that Lord, we will not be a walking contradiction. That we will live as if we're in Christ. And Father, we know that if we've come to know you on your terms, through the provision of Jesus Christ, through our repentance, through our confession, through us receiving forgiveness and experiencing your grace and a faith that is growing, we know that we're in Christ. Help us to live in that reality. Father, I pray if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, they've never come to understand what it means to, to be in Christ, to, to accept the provision of Jesus Christ. I pray today they'll talk to someone before they leave this room, whether it's a pastor here at the front or, or, or just grabbing someone before they leave this building today. Father, have your way in this invitation. Lord, just do what only you can do. In Jesus' name.